Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. A very good Tuesday morning to you. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, and uh, we're doing something we've taken to doing the last couple weeks as events have, I won't say demanded it, but at least a response to uh, explaining stuff that people see and, and, and discussing it. So uh, uh, doing that with me uh, this morning from the greater Kansas City area, Will Costantini. Will, how are you? Good morning. Just happy to be here. Really? <laughs> well. You could dial down the enthusiasm if you want to. I don't want to tell you how to live your life or anything like that, but uh, you're someplace different because I'm seeing a different painting. In the background. No, I'm actually, instead of sitting on my couch, I'm sitting on a chair. What is the uh, picture, painting, behind you on the wall? Oh, so uh, a friend of my wife's was an amateur photographer. And uh, that picture is actually a view as if you were standing at the Iwo Jima, the Marine Corps War Memorial. And looking down towards uh, the Lincoln Memorial and the Capitol. And it looks like it's at sunrise just because of the way the, uh, the color is. So you're facing east there. So, yeah, it's a really nice picture. And she's, she's got – he did a great picture for her of the, uh, of the War Memorial. It's, a, it's sort of an up-close, and you just see uh, the, the guys whose hands are about to grab – or actually, you're just releasing the flagpole, but it's really it's a nice shot. So that was one of her favorite pictures. So it's hanging up in our hallway here. You know, I was just there the other night. Uh, Patrick got married on Friday. Uh, my two daughters and my ex-wife and I went down to Washington D.C. to have dinner with my two sisters, and. Uh, my youngest sister's families were there, uh, family was there. And so after that, we had a, you know, a little bit of time because they wanted to go kind of see the mall at night, which is always you know, an awesome thing. Uh, our favorite thing, or something we do habitually when we go, is we go to the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, it's kind of like going to Disneyland. All the different languages that you hear on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on a beautiful summer evening, right? And you hear them from everywhere. You see people from all over the world that come. And to, me, and to me, it's very inspirational. It's very moving. And uh, and we go up to the, you know, we climb the steps to the top of the uh, memorial where uh, President Lincoln's uh, gigantic, I wouldn't even call that. That's What do you call that? It's not even, a, it's not a statue. It's something else, whatever that thing is. Um, and then we, as you would be walking in, we face left and we walk all the way to the left end of the columns, and then we just sit down. And it is, it's a beautiful view, and you sit there and you kind of take it all in, you know, this experiment in democracy. And then I said, well, where else do you want to go? And they said, can we go to the, uh, the Marine Corps War Memorial? And I said, yeah, because it is truly, if you want to see an absolutely spectacular view of, you know, of the mall, and D.C., it's from that position. And um, the funny thing about it is that, like, we're the only ones that have one. 
nobody else. I mean, and it very much has to do with the the picture that became right, the sculpture uh, that went up there, and you know the that's that picture of the flag raising uh, well, on, on Mount Suribachi yeah. is is one of the most viewed images ever in the history of the planet, and uh, but we we went we went up there, and uh, I don't know. I feel a greater kinship now with that memorial because our wars are on there, right? Iraq and Afghanistan. And and I, it makes me proud that they're up there, you know, and that I, I, I served, not really thrilled with the outcome, but, um, but, you know, I feel a greater kinship to that, <laughs> that piece of uh, stone and, and, and brass. Well, yeah. So, you know, I went, I was in DC last summer and, and one of the great things about COVID is there was nobody there. So we we went up to the Lincoln Memorial and we could sit on the steps and you didn't have to listen to anybody chattering about anything because there was no one there. Um, but I would tell people, if you ever go to the Lincoln Memorial, go in there and read that second inaugural address. It's one of the all-time greatest speeches in the history of the world and, you know, with charity towards all and malice towards none. Uh, and, you know, there are other war memorials. And the Air Force has one. And, uh, yeah, but that's a that's a that's a recent event, yay! Oh yeah, yeah. Very interesting. You know where that was originally cited? I know where it is. I don't know where it was originally. Cited. Oh, it wasn't yeah, it? It was, it original, was adjacent to the Iwo Jima Memorial. Wasn't it, it was going to be right next to the Netherlands Caroline thing. That is that, how, is that how you say that? I think so. But I it was, it was supposed to be right there, so it would have really detracted from the Marine Corps War Memorial and uh, the Marine Corps uh, retired uh, community around DC mustered huge opposition to it. And we said, you know, when we eventually abandoned uh, the Navy annex, you can put it up there. And rumor has it, I was in school in DC in like 2005 and six, and it was just going up. And rumor has it that the guy that designed it was all about finding a place that no matter where you were on sort of that side of D.C., you'd be able to see this monstrosity of an Air Force war memorial. Uh, what is so it? So he was he was happy that it got it ended up getting sighted where it was, although it would have dominated the cemetery. Right. had That thing been put in there next to the. Marine War Memorial, one of the great things about the Marine Corps War Memorial is while it's there and it's massive when you're right there, it doesn't dominate the cemetery. Right. Right. You can be in all over Arlington and you can't even see it. Right. So it's just what the, so the, typical the, Air Force, though. You the, know, Johnny come lately. The, the, air, <laughs> the, what is that thing? It's like two it, like chrome arch, arches that are going into the sky. What's it supposed to be? It's three chrome arches. It's supposed to be like the top of the jester's hat. Right? What? <sighs> Come on. Well, it's supposed to be, obviously, it's supposed to be like the contrails of three airplanes. Oh. But it looks like the jester's hat. Don't you think? <laughs> Well, now that you mention it, there's a striking similarity to that. I mean, I think that the Air Force would would be horrified to hear you say that. Um, but is that so? I you know again, I, I don't know. If I'm going to build a memorial, 
I don't want people having to interpret my memorial. I want them to know. They look at it like, yeah, there's one conclusion coming out out of that monstrosity, and that's this. So, but but every person who has not seen it, and when they do see it and listen to us, it's they're already primed <laughs> for the, the Jester Hat thing. It will never, they'll never get it. It will because that's I, I I will not be able to look at that in person and not think Will was right. It's like a Jester's hat. That's look awesome. at it. Yeah, that's a I good priming job by you. Good priming for people that haven't seen it. I did not make that up. So. No, that's far too witty for you to have come up with it. But And I respect your candor, honestly. Um, <laughs> your mother communicated with me. She said, please don't adjust your language for for me. Right? And so, just so you know, that if you that was keeping you awake at night, which I'm pretty sure it was not. Um, rest easy, Will. Um, that sounds like uh, I don't go where I'm not wanted kind of a thing there. You know? No. Oh, no, yeah, no, don't no, change no. your language for me. No, no, son. No. no. I think he think Will's got to work at that. I, 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 so do I. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's beautiful, when Will says the words, God damn, <laughs> Will says God damn with his soul, Right. Right, it's the way that I spit the word "clown" out of my mouth. If I call you a clown, it's the worst thing that I can call you, and I, my diction relative to that term, that guy's a clown, right? Will does that with greater passion when he says when he gets a little fired up. God damn it, right? I I one of my favorite things he says i'm sorry it's you know profane and 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 against one of the commandments i think um but it is um i can think it's one against one of the commandments (laughs) and 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 i think but i love it every time he says it because he's like normally snap he's not i mean snapping He's not snapping. He's extremely exasperated with something and expressing that. But that, God damn it, comes out of his soul. And I, I greatly, uh, I, I love it. Also joining us today, uh, very much on a delayed basis, is Tim Lynch. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Will. Um, Jeff Kenny will not be with us today. Um, he says he's doing stuff, but that means he's sleeping. He's gotten up early too many times and. He just said, screw it, I don't want to be a part of it. No, Jeffrey doesn't sleep well, so if he could be here, he would be here. So, anyway, he's he's working. Um, Tim, let's talk about... Uh, actually, there's some big stuff going on today that we'll ultimately get to, but the G7 meets today. Uh, talk about that. Um, news pending on that. Uh, the president evidently will make a decision on the timeline for the uh, American withdrawal. Uh, facing much pressure, much criticism over that. Uh, and the director of the CIA met with Mullah, how do you say his name? Tim? Baradar. Baradar, um, evidently yesterday. So um, be very curious to be a little fly on the wall in that meeting. Um, so anyway, so uh, let's uh, do Intel uh, side, Greater Afghanistan, and then we'll go to the op side, uh, and uh, and and but before we do that, if you don't mind, uh, I've quoted Richard Engel extensively. He is NBC's guy at the airport, 
And so I, I just want to play. He filed a little report this morning. And I want to play that. And then after we after we do this, then Timmy, you hop in and do the intel piece. Got it? Okay. All right. So this is Richard Engel reporting um, two hours ago from uh, Kabul, Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul. I guess we all know when the Afghan government collapsed, when U.S. troops pulled out... I guess we all know when the Afghan government collapsed, when U.S. troops pulled out, the Taliban rolled into Kabul. There was panic here. There was a scramble, a mad rush to get to the airport and a rush to get out American citizens and people who worked with the United States. But also many, many people in this country just started rushing and rushing to the airport. And we saw all those violent and chaotic scenes. Now we're up against a deadline. President Biden says he wants this done by August 31st. He may have to decide as early as today if he's going to extend that deadline. And just yesterday, NBC News has confirmed, Washington Post first reporting it, that the CIA director was here on a secret mission in Kabul meeting with the Taliban's top political leader. The clock is ticking at Kabul International Airport, where the evacuations are in high gear. The U.S. only has one week to get this done. The Taliban say if the evacuations extend beyond August 31st, a date set by President Biden, there will be consequences. So the race is on. This is now an extremely busy airfield. Every few minutes, new planes are coming in, and they are not just from the United States. We've seen them from the U.K., Qatar, Australia, civilian aircraft. This is a truly global airlift. Finally, it's also orderly. We watched a Qatari Air Force plane bound for Doha being loaded. No pushing, no cutting, bags searched, security with a gentle touch. Candy for the kids, highs to the camera. The Taliban are helping make it go smoothly by providing security outside the airport. But will it be done in time? Maybe. Perhaps. But it will be extremely difficult to fly out the remaining Afghans and the several thousand U.S. and foreign troops brought in to protect the evacuation in just seven days. So we just left Kabul airport and you go through the American checkpoint and then you're handed over to what looks like another American checkpoint. You see American uniforms, you see soldiers in black jackets, eye protection, new weapons, M4s, perfect condition. They know how to carry them, but they're not American soldiers. They're the Taliban. And the Taliban are undisputedly in charge. They're on almost every corner in Kabul now. They weren't hostile to us or anyone we saw as they patrol in pickups with the white Taliban flag. The old tricolored Afghan flags still fly. The Taliban haven't taken them down. They say they want to be inclusive, and so far, the capital is calm. Even the old traffic cops from the fallen government backed by the United States have returned to work. The Taliban move among them, and they are giving the orders. So, Richard, you mentioned the Taliban helping facilitate the evacu evacuation effort. We just saw it there uh, on the tarmac specifically. But what, what exactly does that look like on the ground? And does that mean that the United States is essentially working with the Taliban on this? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, we saw it yesterday, or we didn't see, we just reported about this meeting uh, that happened with the CIA director and Mullah Barada, their political chief, 
that's a degree of coordination. And then I saw an extraordinary scene. So I came out of the airport this morning heading into downtown Kabul. Downtown Kabul is controlled by the Taliban. You leave the security bubble of the airport itself. You leave the last American checkpoint and literally yards away, they can see each other. The Americans doing security checks, the Taliban doing their security checks. There is no distance between each other. Both sides are armed. There is not a hostility. They are trying to, maybe it's hostility inside, but there's no, there's no overt hostility. And they are both trying to clear the path to get people processed through and to keep people who have uh, no business being at the airport, who wouldn't qualify, who are just trying to get their way onto flights to keep those people back. So they are just yards apart yeah. and there is no overt hostility. So there is certainly a degree of, of coordination. Our chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, on the ground. For- All right. With, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, his report from uh, essentially from... Uh, from the airport and and the area around the airport. So uh, with that done, Tim, uh, you want to take us, uh, give us uh, some intel, other information on uh, on the region, uh, the city, and then the airport. Sure. Starting with uh, Afghanistan overall, not much news coming out. Most of what I've seen has concerned the clashes in in uh, in the north between the Northern Alliance and the Taliban, in which the Northern Alliance is claiming hundreds and hundreds killed and are displaying identity cards from Pakistani nationals who they said comprise the Taliban who attacked them. So aside from that little tidbit of of conflict, the big news is the banks remain closed, the ATMs closed, the only money coming into the Afghan people and the Afghan economy is through remittances from abroad. That's their only source of money right now. The, uh, the calm um, conduct of the civilian population that you see now in, outside Kabul and in the rest of the country observed by Franz Marty, that, that will, will not continue as people run out of food and money and, and et cetera. So the Taliban are under the hook to resolve some way to get a hold of all the money that they cannot get. And that includes the, uh, the, the $9 billion in Afghan bank reserves. None of that money is, is resides in Afghanistan. It's kept off at another place, but it's their money. And they need to get at it to get their economy going. Otherwise, the entire country is going to turn into a refugee case. Going into Greater Kabul, I, uh, Greater Kabul is going to be sunny today when the sun comes up. Highs in the 90s, low in the 61 no humidity, very little cloud cover. So that's a typical August day in Kabul. Again, in Kabul, the uh, the news that's uh, relevant to us is that the former finance minister um, from Afghanistan, who also stayed behind, has tried to work a deal with the Taliban to appoint a governor for the Afghan National Bank and get the uh, civil servants back to work having them replace the officials who fled with all, with, uh, uh, when, the, when the thing fell. The Taliban listened to this request. They appointed their own governor of the Kabul Bank. I don't know what this individual's background is. It does not appear like they are willing to bring back the civil servant structure that was it there when the, when the place fell, which, which is, is, is interesting. It is also interesting that, as, as Mac, as you had picked up, seven days ago that they the traffic police and other entities remain on the job and probably getting paid for the first time in months at the kabul airport all effort even according to the press is on amsits allies europeans etc they are not getting very many 
Afghan visa applicants through that process. I don't believe they're focusing on them. I think the number of, of half-empty planes is a shame because they should be. But um, right right now, the, uh, the, the Afghan visa applicants who are legitimately qualified are lined up at the gate, and there's an, a disruption in the process. I keep on getting emails back asking me to to find a, a USAID person to verify and st- stuff that is not possible to do. So they're confused. They're confused there. They're sending us contradictory information. The, the published information clearly indicates that I was senior enough to write these things. And now there's being kicked back saying, maybe I wasn't. And this kind of confusion is tragic. I'm sure it's going to get worked out. But this is clogging up the system in a big way. So all eyes are on the airport. The airport still has a lot of people around it. We know there are Afghan security forces in uniform between us and the Taliban, but Engel doesn't say that. I, I don't know what the situation is there. And this, uh, the, the Taliban is not cooperating with us, really. They are stripping every Afghan that has English language papers of those papers before they reach the airport to say that we're going to open up new routes with a cooperative Taliban who are not cooperating right now is, 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 is BS. And uh, I, I've got some other stuff to say that's even worse, but I'll wait. All right. Well, any comment on, on the operations? I mean, the operations kind of steady state right now. I mean, you, if you look at the, um, you know, I think Engel probably, you know, it's, it's normally the way it happens, right? You go booming in there. A lot of, you know, we've been in there how long? Ten days, it seems like, and about that. And uh, and things now have a have a meter. Uh, the security situation seems to have stabilized. Um and, and it, now it seems like kind of, I don't want to say business as usual because this thing's fraught with danger, but in the, in, in the context of the operation, we're in phase two, which is the evacuation piece, and it seems to be moving along. Uh, thoughts on it, Will, and some of the other things you've seen? Yeah, I uh, so I read in the Marine Corps Times, uh, take that for what it's worth, but they're quoting uh, Marine Brigadier General that said... Uh, one eight initially had gone in to assist in perimeter security. The army has taken over perimeter security of the airport. One eight is now uh, assisting with the evacuation control center, which I also sense is really internal security. Two one has deployed in both of those units with associated combat service support. So they said there's about two thousand Marines there. I've only heard of one army paratrooper battalion at the at the airport. So there's 2,000 Marines doing internal. That also doesn't necessarily make sense to me. A chunk of that is going to be on permanent, uh, you know, QRF. Um, uh, But it's also, so if there's 3,000 people at the airport, um, you know, it's 3,000 people you got to take out of there. And that's that's why this deadline is important uh, because that's, you know, eight, ten C one C seventeen flights uh, to get those three thousand people that are there out, and uh, you can't decide today you're going to do it tomorrow. Uh, other things on the operation that that interest me a little bit. I think uh, Kirby was on yesterday, the OSD spokesman, and someone threw some numbers up about you know we've taken out whatever fifteen thousand people how many Americans, and they won. He would not stand at the podium and confirm the number of Americans 
taken out. And so I wasn't sure why they wouldn't do that. Um, one, maybe they just don't want to get measured. Uh, or two, uh, they've taken out a lot more um, than they want to say, so maybe they can conclude this thing earlier. I just I don't know. What, what, hey, somebody... Will, what did you think watching that? Because I was watching it too. My opinion was he didn't know, and he tried and, yeah. he, and he tried to bluff it with uh, I'm not going to go into that blah blah blah, and then and he kind of got through the initial question. Then there was a dude sitting in the back towards the left hand side, and he said, "Well, let me ask you a question, right? Do you not know?" Or is there a reason that you won't tell us? Which is it? And then he tried to wave off that, and then the guy came back and said, wait a minute, so you said you're not going to tell us. Why? For operational security? And could you explain that to us? And so it's like they, 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 pinned, him, they pinned him to the mat. But he just seemed to me like, and let me just, I, I sent these guys a text in the middle of that saying, public affairs officers are the worst. First of all, they're not going to tell you shit and they want to try to tell it, not tell you shit like three different ways and have you accept that. And they're the most yeah. infuriating people to deal with because they're not principals. They're just out there with talking points and God, it's awful. And what, you know, I've, I've never had a high opinion of Kirby. Uh, yeah, he was there. He came down with Admiral Mullen when Mullen became the chairman. I was on the joint staff. And, uh, you know, he was an arrogant prick back then. There's better, there's better true public, not public affairs people, but media people, but they're professional media people. You know, Kirby was a guy in a Navy uniform trying to play in the big leagues. And I see this, I just think he's an amateur now. Uh, and it's unfortunate that he retired, I think, Rear Admiral, which makes it worse. When he's obviously lying through his teeth. Yeah, what you just say, I won't comment on that. Period. Yeah. Right? And, and so, you're watching it, and, and really, prick? I mean, did you not hear him? I mean, I know, I know your mom said she didn't care about your language, but, I mean, you've never said that in the history of the program, the word prick. But, he's, but that's a legitimate description of that guy. Yeah, so. Okay. All right. You know what? Truth, he, is, he the, truth is defense and libel. Well done. Well, well done. I'm not. Why that rolls off my tongue so easily, you don't need to know. But, Tim? The, the other thing is, is what we don't know and what they don't know is what is the total number of people right. who are qualified to be pulled out. So when you start throwing around, well, we've got 3,000 and then we got one. You might be talking, if you're talking 200,000 people, it's like, great, you've got 0.3% done today. That's awesome. So yeah, those numbers are irrelevant. Yeah. I was going to tie that to the next thing. You know, at the White House press conference yesterday, uh, Pasaki said she took great umbrage when someone said Americans are stranded there. <laughs> no, the president says we're going to get all the Americans out. Well, if you define what the final number is, then you get to say. And then, uh, you know, to, to prove that she's a liar – she came out and says, well, the president is, you know, passing the test of competence and leadership uh, required here. Um, oh, so that's what this is about. I yeah. thought it was about Afghanistan so I, and evacuation. I, I, I didn't realize it was just a backdrop for proving a fucking political point, Jen. Yeah. And, and it's in what you said earlier, you know, we're in this phase two of, of steady state. Um, 
just when you look at all the news, the news has gone, gone on the political side, political fallout, political implications, yada, yada, yada. And only in the, um, you know, the new media do you hear the plight of the individual or some of the chaos. But in the middle there, there is no real discussion about what's going on day to day. And part of that is just purely the competence of the U.S. military on the ground, right? One of the, you go in, it's a chaotic situation, you solve it. And then it's just not very interesting to reporters anymore. Uh, I also have a, a sense that there's been uh, a significant push um, out to the rank and file uh, about what they're sending back home. You know, the Marine Corps Times would, if there was uh, Marines and social media sending stuff back home about this or that or anything else, you know that the Marine Corps Times would have it. They solicit it. Um, they they put yes. they, you know you you'll see on their website if you have you know pictures or whatnot please send them and uh, yeah. so no you're absolutely right so when the only thing they got to go with is the director of operations you know Marine Corps Brigadier General talking then the sources have dried up uh, from internal you haven't seen cell phone camera footage and things like that so. Part of it is, again, I think there is a steady state, and part of it is my assumption is that they are squeezing people out there uh, and people back here to sanitize social media. Um, which is what I would say from which, sitting where I am. Which we all know is uh, is necessary and long overdue. Yeah. And Will, you made a you made a comment about the gear list. Um, and cell phone? Oh, well, I mean, it's it's bizarre to me that cell phones are allowed on the gear list. But I just can't help myself. You know, I'm old, uh, and I get it that the average 19 to 22-year-old cannot exist on the planet without a cell phone firmly implanted in their hand. But it's bizarre that we would be pushing that much electronics into, you know, the ether, uh, it endangers the force. It just does. Um, I would never, I can't imagine that we do that, but it endangers the force by having that much uh, the ability to communicate down at that lowest level. You know, I, I made a comment during the whole um, Afghan scout sniper urination video thing. I said, you know, if Marines put on the Internet, the pictures that they have, they would melt the internet. <laughs> I, I mean, every every right, every guy rolling around, right, taking pictures of everything they see. Who thinks that's a good idea? But we allowed that for decade, for almost, you know, for a, probably a decade and a half before we said, "Hey, this has to stop." And and you think about that, and you know, from you know, from animals. You know, to all you know, to humans, to all kinds of crazy shit, right? I mean, this great curious event, right? And uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So when we were there, obviously, you know, cell phones hadn't actually been invented yet. Uh, Two thousand four, we were first there. 
uh, if they were, they weren't widely distributed. You know, the Blackberry was the closest thing. But uh, I actually had bought a bunch of cameras, and Marines had cameras because I wanted them to take pictures of everything. We we looked at them, uh, and we had some vehicles damaged by IEDs, uh, and we all people had some laptops there. People took pictures of that, and I said, "Hey, that's actually classified information, right? The battle damage sustained by a vehicle." is not something that we want to put out uh, for the enemy to be able to peruse. Now, how sophisticated was our enemy there? I I don't think that they could uh, electronically eavesdrop and have an intelligence cycle to be able to see an IED that they planned and the the damage it it did to a vehicle. But so what? I don't think that uh, anybody's mom back in Peoria needs to be able to see what an IED does to a vehicle either. Um, so all that stuff, that internal photography, and then your ability to call home and say, hey, mom, I'm really tired. I've been, you know, we haven't had a relief. I've been out on this checkpoint for 24 hours. But you know what? That's something that the enemy might be interested in knowing. Um, so all that communication is... Uh, it's not a good idea. We got to get out of that habit. Uh, we can't get out of the habit. It's got to be verboten. Um, one man's opinion. And you know what? It will allow some people to better control the story that's coming out of military operations. Um, yeah, but that's actually how it works in my mind. A, a, well, a couple of years ago, we were talking, I believe, about uh, about the Marines, the snipers, Mac, and I made the point at that time that the Marine Corps should adopt the same policy as Delta Force, which is no social media at all. Once you join the Marine Corps, you don't you're, you are no longer on social media. At the time, that that sentiment seemed to be a bit harsh and and, and unrealistic. Maybe now it's a little bit closer to realistic. It's just a matter of time before they're going to have to. Because, because the, you know, Will remarked yesterday after the show that he was uncomfortable when I bought up Marine social media. I'm on the one eight uh, uh, Facebook page because I'm a one eight veteran, and and they're posting pictures taken by Marines in Kabul. And, I mean, directly that that the, for all the reasons Will just said, that's not the way to do this. Yeah, no, that's just it, shit. That's yeah, just no, crazy. You, it's it. It is crazy. Any uh, will any more uh, thoughts on operations? Yeah, I mean, like I, I think what I echo what you said. The information on operations is pretty skinny out there. It's not interesting because it's become routine. Right. So, uh, what's what is dominated? I think the news cycle is all the politics of it. And I would say this. This decision, whether we stay or go past August 31st, it's interesting on a strategic level and both in dealing with the Taliban and with our allies. And it's very interesting to the people on the ground and through the planning cycle uh, at the tactical level because they've got a plan to collapse the perimeter and have the last people get out. And they would much rather do that plan um, you know, on a timeline that's set. What they don't, they're pushing up the chain of command. It's going to take us 
X amount of time to do this. And to prepare for it, you've got to have Y amount of time at the front end. That Y amount of time is to pre-position aircraft and crew to make sure they're available. So we need a total of X plus Y. You can't tell, and if that X plus Y is four days, you can't tell us two days in advance that we need to have the whole plan done. The four-day plan can't be done in two days. There are physics involved. And so there's going to be this pressure, and it'll be interesting to see if the people at the top are smart enough and sensitive enough to the requirements of the people at the bottom to make sure they have that time. And if, if the people at the bottom, when they're not given that amount of time, tell the people at the top, okay, mom, go ahead and hit, uh, you know, pause. Fuck you. It takes that amount of time. We can't do it in less. How is that? What is wrong with you? What's happened to you? You well, that's you've never you've never been this profane in the whole time you've been here. All of a sudden, your mother we, starts listening. But we've been we've been saying for years and years and years that people need to be able to stand up and say no to certain things, and this might be a case of it. That yeah, because 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 they, they should have been when they the closed Bogum. They should have been. They say no when they closed Bogum. That move was horribly amateurish. Well, let me make the case for closing Bagram, okay? That, All right. If, if you completely dismiss out of hand the intel reports that you're getting saying that we believe this thing might go really quick, and you dismiss that and you say, no, it's, it won't, okay? If it goes, it will take months, and we will have plenty of time to get everybody out. Right. I mean, you, that's what I mean, that's that's the logical syllogism or, or the thought process that makes that work, which is to right. me. Um, I, maybe it's not immoral. Maybe it's not unethical. It is stupid as fuck, though, because even if you dismiss it as a planner, you have to consider it and you have to at least build in. Right. OK. Let's just say that's in the spectrum, though. Okay? If that's true, then we need to begin the evacuation now. Okay? And we need to have a plan to have enough ass in CENTCOM to go back and get Bagram if we have to. And you have to, I mean, you have to address that. And the yeah. fact that they did neither is, is, is an absolute uh, head-scratcher. And to, to hear the way it was summarily dismissed in a press conference by saying, well, you know, we, we, assessed, we assessed the risk was the same at both and, and holding Bagram would take uh, too many troops. So we said no. Well, what's everybody doing? They're not doing shit back here in the United States. So why not go do security at an airport, right? It gives you now three runways to deal with as opposed to one. And so I and so I it's uh you watch that and that's the only way and it is it is you know it is wrongly thought it is extremely irresponsible planning and you know and now you're faced with this um yeah, it, it's irresponsible planning at the right. highest level because right. you know as we've said there are smart guys doing this and there's some lieutenant colonel down in CENTCOM 
that said, if these conditions apply and we don't have Bagram, we're doomed. Right. And people said, and he was told, shut up and call her by right. at least a two, if not a four star general. Right. Because they were told. So. Right. And, and, and then, um, and maybe not so much out of the Pentagon, but the State Department people, right, aren't good with hearing, yeah, you know, because Millie said this. Nobody ever articulated to me that this thing would could go down like this, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you see some back-channel reporting saying, yeah, that's not true. We told them, right? And um, do you think that's why the G7 is convening today, that the G7 is going to be used as top cover to say, yeah, we're not leaving and we're all in on consequences if you don't allow us to evacuate? Uh, what is the purpose of the G7? You know, venting, you know, uh, okay, let's sit around and talk about how we all feel about this. Um, who's the audience for the G7 event and what do you think comes out of it? I would I would hazard to say it's the European citizen uh, citizen who's the audience. According to the Wall Street Journal, the G7 is going to push to get beyond the August 31st timeline because the G7 has got a lot more citizens stuck in that country. I mean, combined than the United States does. I would suspect at this moment. Matter of fact, I know that because I know how many Germans there are. So so I think the G7 is convening this to put pressure on on the uh, administration to not make the August 31st uh, uh, timeline. And if I could real quick, there's four national holidays in Afghanistan. One is, of course, the end of Eid. The uh, one is Nauruz, which is a, 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 um, a nod to their pagan past that the Islamic people went ahead and tolerate. The other two are Mujahideen Victory Day and Victory Day, one over the British, one over the Soviets. Now they're going to have a third Mujahideen Victory Day, and guess on which date that's going to be? Obviously, September 11th, and I'm all for staying at that airport way beyond 31st of August, and I'd just as soon be sitting in force there on the first of on the 11th of, Je- of September, just to make sure that it doesn't become the third Mujahideen Victory Day, because I'm, I'm a little petty like that. What makes yeah, you think they wouldn't celebrate it even if we were there? Yeah, but it wouldn't be the same, would it? Yeah, it would. Yeah, Mac, I, I think that if if the G7 convenes, that means the deal is done, right? Biden is not going to have a G7 meeting and where the G7 is obviously going to say we need to stay past the 31st and then the president and public tell them no, unless he's really trying to prove that I'm in charge here, Um but if you're willing to take the meeting, I think that that means you're going to you're going to use that as a way to wiggle out of your ironclad requirement to leave after the 31st. Now, how much skin do the Europeans have in the game? I, I don't who else has got forces there? Yeah, the. Um, so 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 the purpose of the CIA, right, uh, visit director's visit is to negotiate a deal with. Uh, Mullah Bardar, right, and say, what do you want? And he says, we want $10 billion. We want access to this money in American bank accounts, right? And then uh, and then we will announce that we have granted you an extension, right, of whatever. Um, so that's our, predi- that's our prediction. That makes sense to me, right? The Taliban's got to be able to stand up and look strong and legitimate, 
right? We've got to be able to, you know, have, I don't know how much more time to evacuate the people that we need to evacuate. And, uh, and so it goes. Oh, hold on a second, brother. Okay. When is the last time you saw the CIA director arriving as an emissary of negotiating on behalf of the United States of America? The fucking CIA director. What is he doing there? Why is he talking to those people? I think it's, they shouldn't even know who that asshole is. This I is think, ridiculous. I think that's normally a function of the Secretary of State. Yeah, 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 sure it is. And of course, the CIA is all embedded in the State Department. I get it. Yeah, yeah, spy book stuff. But why is the CIA director in Kabul? This so guy. Do you think he has more credibility between <laughs> um, Morocco and Afghanistan amongst the people? Amongst the masses. I mean, my experience in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, was that the American CIA controlled everything. That was the person on the street. No, so they, I don't know if it's the same in Afghanistan, but. I would, I would say it would work better to send the head of the DEA over there, seeing how he has a hell of a lot more activity going on in Afghanistan than the yeah, CIA. I don't know if do the Afghans know who the what the DIA DEA is? Oh, you better fucking believe okay. they yeah, know. See, and that's why I'm <laughs> ignorant of that. But I would yeah. tell you, on the streets of Cairo the day after 9-11, that was a CIA shin bet operation, you know? They always uh, say that. Oh, you're they, right. are, they are seen as omnipotent. That's in, true. In that part. So that might be the who knows why. It, it may well be. I, I right. just find yeah. that I've never heard of that. I find it not too interesting because I said I just sense a disaster on the horizon and I'm getting excitedly pissed off about it. Well, it also may be that that the CIA guy can bring. Hey, folks, we're leaving, but this is what we know about you. And have true credibility. And so this is our bargaining chip and doing the deal. Here's what we know where you are, what you got. So don't mess with us as opposed to, you know, if you sent a straight pants sort of tea, tea and cookie pusher from the state department, um, you may not be able to do the same sort of thing. I don't know. I think, I think uh, a Lieutenant general from the Marine Corps has more gravitas. Look at this guy. He's, I don't know. We don't have one there. Um, Maybe he's good. I don't know. We don't have one there. We, um, but now will makes a compelling case. Yeah, that's what, could be. If that's, that's, if that's, that would explain something, right? If that's if if that's your messaging, so we expect that the deal is done, the extension has been negotiated, and uh, that'll be announced at the end of the G seven. If I you just, were a betting, if you were a betting man, will? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm 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 not going to go all in on this, but I. It's would, your theory. Would, it is my it is my theory. I said I'm not going all in, but I would absolutely. Uh, Bet for thin value, as we would say at the poker table on this one. What yeah, is that? I think what that's is the most logical. For us non-gambling types, what does that mean? Um, that means that uh, you're pretty sure you're good and you're going to try and squeak out just a little bit more. Yeah, as opposed to going all in, it's either a bluff or you're, you know you're good. Okay. So. All right. All right. Um, Pentagon confirms the latest mission to rescue Americans stranded in Kabul. This is in Politico. The Pentagon on Monday revealed it had performed another rescue mission to transport Americans stranded in Kabul to the Kabul capital's international airport. 
where the urgent U.S. evacuation effort remains underway. The announcement comes after the Pentagon confirmed that three Army CH-47 Chinook helicopters last Thursday airlifted a group of 169 Americans from the Barron Hotel in Kabul to the Hamid Karzai International Airport just 200 meters away. Apart from that mission, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby, no comment necessary, <laughs> God damn it. said Jeez. at a news briefing Monday that there had been, quote, at least one additional instance where rotary airlift was used to help Americans get from outside the airport into the airport. He declined to elaborate further, telling reporters, I think I'm just going to leave that uh, there today. Kirby also indicated that the rescue missions by U.S. troops in recent days have been more frequent than senior administration officials have thus far acknowledged, and and that some have been facilitated by means other than military helicopters. Quote, on occasion, where there's a need and there's a capability to meet that need, our commanders on the ground are doing what they feel they need to do to help Americans reach the airport. Kirby then said, quote, a variety of methods by which rescue missions can be affected without going into great detail. So uh, we talked about this, right? Uh, special operations, huge part of the American military when it goes forward. Uh, no surprise that, uh, that you know, as this thing gets choreographed, um, you know, rendezvous at this site and we will secure your entrance here, blah, 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 blah. Thoughts on, on that, Will, Tim? Yeah, I mean, obviously not surprising. Uh, I don't know if that's why the nuance in the language over the weekend is that we're not able to rescue large numbers of Americans was used by the secretary. Um, We absolutely got high value people in there somewhere that we got to get out. I don't think this is the average Joe Blow, uh, particularly, you know, Americans married to Afghanis that have kids holding American passports. I don't think that's who they're going to get. So, um, Timmy, I had a question is, is how they got 169 AMSITs into the Barron hotel, which is a, an Afghani hotel. That's across from the, uh, outside the wire of the airport, you know, with a, with a guess, a decent roof on it. That's the question. That that's the question. So they got them. They, I, I don't understand why you just don't send a platoon of Marines to guide them in 200 meters, but okay, we're going to use helicopters. And you heard all this insinuation that we've got all kinds of things going with high speed guys. I don't believe a fucking word of it. And you don't need to do this. You could be sending Marines out to wherever we wanted to go and say, step out of our way, please. We're going to take care of our people. And if you don't like it, we're going to shoot you in the face and we're not playing around. I, we could be doing that, but we're going to be cute and send all these high speed guys and ninja helicopters and, and evacuate certain key personnel. There's, there's 20, 30,000 Afghan families with FIV applicants sitting there. We should be taking them right now. Yeah, Tim, the part of it is though, is that they want the last dead American to not be this week. They want the last <laughs> dead American to be whenever it was an anonymous person that no one even remembers. But you have a dead American, a, you know, serviceman this week. That's the face of the operation. And I think um, that, that um, is not an insignificant constraint. Unless you've launched out to take in control parts of Kabul for the length of time we need to go, and you get in a firefight and start smacking the shit out of them. I think we can tolerate casualties under that scenario where we say 
We are no longer going to be victimized by a Taliban who is lying to us and not cooperating. This is what we're going to do to get our people out. And if you don't, if you don't step out of our way, we will kill you. I think casualties in that scenario would be acceptable because we would have the moral high ground, which now rests entirely with the with the Taliban. Yeah. I think I think you're crazy. You would find those acceptable. I would probably find those acceptable. Uh, The people in in the White House would. Agreed. But if you're doing a a non-permissive neo and the only thing you're concerned about is casualties to you, why the fuck are you in there doing a non-permissive neo? They didn't want to do one. They got forced into it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm a. <laughs> I'm losing. I'm losing my detached perspective over this uh, visa thing. I'm getting. Well, no. Uh, what I think you What I think you're missing is that um, what drives what we see. It it isn't the yeah. situation on the ground. It isn't the plight of the Afghans. It's the yeah. political impact on on the president. That's what drives all the shit. And it's just it's disgusting to watch. Right. And, and, you know, I think we all know and believe that, you know, what should what should drive this stuff. But it doesn't. And it's it's and, it's, and if you stay back like this in a more defensive posture, are you inviting casualties or not? That's that's another one of the that's another horn of the dilemma. Right. Are you inviting? I mean, I think it's inevitable we're going to lose people before this is done. And I think we should be the guys that put out the. If you're, going to get, if you're going to get involved in a fight, if you know you're going to, there's a fight brewing, it's best to get in that first punch, and it better be hard. And I think we should do that because it's inevitable. We but haven't thrown we haven't thrown a first punch since when? Marja. That was a good punch in Marja, bro. When was the last time the United States threw the threw a first punch? We, we we're not we're counter punchers. Oh man. oh oh oh! I'm sorry. I get I get you. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't. Do I mean, we take. I mean, we started at Lexington and Concord with "Wait till you see the whites in their eyes and don't fire first. So that's oh. sort of the American military tradition. Would that be oh. the Rescue last? Would that Thank be the you. last time? That be the last time we threw the first punch. I mean, my no, dad we didn't throw the first punch there. We waited. <laughs> my it dad was very clear. You got to take the first round. My dad told me never throw the first punch in a fight, and it wasn't until I was like in my early twenties when I figured out that's the only punch that counts. And then exactly. I and then I serve in a, in a military that is we're counter punchers. I mean, ninety nine percent of the contact that we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, we were counter punching. Listen, when I took over that uh, American Embassy Guard project, I got all the uh, the expats together and I made it clear to them that it is in everybody's best interest that before we ever discharge a weapon, one of us gets shot first. And I and I, I mean, I basically laid it out for them. Dudes, there's no circumstances on which you can shoot first uh, in, in here. You don't you, we don't even know. If an Afghan that's armed is a security force member or not, I mean, I'm not, I am used to being a bullet sponge. I've got no problem with it personally on a tactical level. I just think it's inevitable we're going to clash. And if we're going to inevitably clash, why well, not Richard Engel does, Richard Engel's not agreeing with you. He's saying, he's saying that things are. How many push-ups can Richard Engel do? Doesn't matter. He's there. He's there reporting, and he's got a lot. He's got a lot of years behind him. The um, no, no, I I don't mean to dismiss Engel. Uh, it, but you're what you just said. What, what you just said 
is a good business strategy because if you're too heavy-handed as a businessman, they will find you and replace you because nobody wants that. Nobody wants okay. that. That's not the narrative. The um, So that's us going out and getting people. Um, we talked about the, the evacuation timeline. We talked about the G7. Um, all right. Um, first of all, some things that have um, come across. First of all, when do you think... Let's talk about cell phones here for a second. Um, what year do you think kind of there's cell phones and then smartphones? Yeah, smartphones are like, what, 2006? 2006, 2007. Not, not, not in Afghanistan. They didn't start showing up in numbers until 20. No, we don't care about Afghanistan. We care about oh. us taking our cell phones overseas. Oh, gotcha, so, gotcha. so the timeline is in January 2007, Steve Jobs, chief executive of Apple, unveils the iPhone, which he says is a revolutionary magical product that is literally five years ahead of any other mobile phone. And uh, three months later, Windows has 18% share of the smartphone uh, market, then totaling 17 million handsets. So 2007 would be um, about the time when smartphones hit the market and people begin to buy them. Google gets into it in November of 2007. So that's just a little bit of a, of a tidbit for you. And you know when Steve Jobs got cancer? When? God gave it to him the day after he announced his smartphone because it's the end of civilization as we know it. So. Wow. <laughs> he wow. is in the seventh ring of hell as we speak. Wow. Um, all right. There was one other thing that I wanted to mention relative to news, um, but I can't recall it. Uh, final thoughts uh, about what's going on today. So CIA met, um, the president going to meet with G7, and uh, and news headlines, Taliban continue to say, we have agreed to no extension, right, uh, of the August 31st deadline. So final thought for today, Will? Yeah, those, those numbers got to get reconciled. Right. Either August 31st is going to change or not change. Um, I don't think that the president wants to make this a manhood issue with the Taliban. So if it's going to change, uh, which I I sense it is because I don't think you go to the G7 without it. There's a deal being done because it ain't going to be the Taliban says no. And we say, yeah, we're doing it anyhow. I just don't see that happening. So that'll be the big news. And then. the other thing is it would be interesting to see if we start reporting from uh, CENTCOM, OSD, or the White House, the actual number of Americans and then G7 foreigners, the number that's got to come out and the number that we got out so far. That would be sort of interesting because that would tell me that we're much more confident that we're going to be able to get all these people. That's when we'll start reporting the numbers. So. Got it. Timmy, final thought for today? They're running out of time and they haven't started in on the Afghan visa applicants 
obviously of, of of whom there are there are a considerable number outside that airport and i'm not so sure that just going to be able to to run away and leave those people hanging the optics will be will be bad i can't imagine what the cia uh head of the cia had to say to the taliban i would be more comfortable if he had predicted the rapid turnover and was waiting for mullah bardar in kabul saying yeah okay now that you're here we need to talk that would make me comfortable because it would indicate the cia has a degree of competence that I have not seen displayed by them in quite some time. So this is not over, obviously. The the potential for catastrophe seems to be seems to be mitigated a bit by the calm demeanor with which the Americans are approaching this rather horrendous task. I've got to give us credit for not getting into any fight so far. I just don't think it lasts another week. Got it. All right. The uh no, I'm I'm kinda anxious. Again, I it's uh once again uh, very discouraging to see that what moves the needle is politics, how the president is perceived. You know, it's not a question of, hey, this is this is the United States of America. We have the power to do this. Uh, we can project that power. Uh, you know, all of it is how the president's perceived and and, uh, you know, and his, you know, all the little press minions, you know, channeling the right message just and which is just painful to watch, and uh, but I would I, I kind of you know would echo something Tim said, right? I think um, in the absence of great numbers, it looks like Americans at least um, in the Kabul area are finding ways to that airport. Okay, I, and so the question is, Americans outside of Kabul, what of them? Okay, the next question is. The SIV uh, visa applicants are they being, you know, held up? Is that pay? Are those papers being confiscated? And what do we do about that? That's got to be solved because, again, um, we all worked with interpreters. They have families. You, you're, you've seen the stories. People going door to door looking for people. You know, telling them that their families. You know, you're going to be, you know, in, quote unquote, impacted by this. Um, in some cases, they'll be literally impacted by this. And so to me, uh, with all the, you know, drama that that surrounds babies being handed over walls and things like that, I think the bigger issues are Americans outside of Kabul and, and, and the people that have worked for us. Are they being allowed or are they being turned away by the Taliban? And that's got to get reconciled too. So uh, save rounds before we go. Oh, I, I, Phil Smith was appointed. Listen to this. Ty Edwards sent me an email this morning. He said, hey, Mac, did you see this? And I look at it and uh, scroll down, and it's an email from no one left behind that Tim has mentioned on numerous mm-hmm. occasions, right? Very proud to announce USMC Colonel Phil Smith retired as our new interim executive director, exclamation mark. He brings 40 years of operational experience to no one left behind, got his interpreter safely to the U.S. on an SIV. He will oversee our SIV ambassadors to help 750 new families arriving soon. Welcome, Phil. So Outstanding. Phil is a Mitchell Hall guy. Um, and uh, when uh, I went over there, and uh, uh, he's a great guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a smart guy. 
And uh, so uh, we'll see if we can track him down. I sent him an email about why am I finding out about this through like normal media channels, Smith. (laughs) He has, on a personal note, Phil Smith showed me the longest pubic hair I'd ever seen in my life on range seven. On range seven. This thing was at least 18 inches long. And I don't know how something like that grows on a human being. Right, without one noticing or without like sawing it off in a zipper. And so I said, You have cancer, you need to get to the hospital immediately. <laughs> he said, What? <laughs> I, said, I said, Smitty, that's not normal. Okay? So it can only mean one thing. I don't want to sit, tell too much about the story, but I said, You have testicular cancer. Because he was kind of making a head call and then he said, Hey, Mac, look at this. Me being the fool that I am, I did. And then I got curious because it was like, you know, when you have like a long string and you're pulling it and then the thing attached to it at the other end kind of moves. He goes, look at this. And I'm like, good God, that's over a foot long. Like, what the hell is that? He said, it's a hair. I said, it can't be. He said, it is. And it was. And so, yeah, amazing. Should have been on Ripley's, believe it or not. And so then I concluded because... You know, I, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with American medicine. Smitty, you have te- testicular cancer. He did not go get screened, which I guess turned out okay for him. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what that, that little, little known things about Phil Smith that people ought to know. He's an Eighth Marines guy too. I, you know, I would say about the SIV applicants, I, yes. I probably have a different perspective than other people that are on the show here. I don't think that uh, the American public is going to get too ginned up if uh, we don't get all the SIVs out of there. Um, you know, part of the narrative is uh, they they work for us, so we should stand by them. The other side of that narrative is um, we worked for them. Yeah, but well, here's what I, here's what I would say to to that is that. When the video comes back, and you're already seeing it, of mothers, right, of children's, or just a, a, a woman whose, who's, what, two-year-old daughter was trampled, right? And, and the media will feed that to us ad nauseum. So you, you may be right about that. But again, the American public, too, as I recall, wasn't too excited about Somalia until the steady diet of video right? Flies crawling on little kid, little kids breastfeeding from their mothers, their mothers emaciated. We've got to go do this. America's the only, you know what I'm saying? So you might be right about our appetite for it, but the way this will play out in a very, very public way to, um, to emphasize the American failure is to me what, and, and that's the danger of video and foreign policy. Yeah. You you (laughs) do see though, that when, when, uh, Kirby, Austin, Pisaki, uh talk. They they are not talking about SIVs and others. They're talking about Americans. They've narrowed that, and that's how the administration is going to define it. And they don't do that uh, based on um, you know altruistic intentions. They they have data that says I believe that the American people don't really care about the SIVs. I could be wrong on that as well. But I would say if I did a poll of one person in Lenexa, Kansas, I'm just not all that worked up about them. I'm not. Um, 
I think we should uh, get people that can be vetted that we know are going to turn into good Americans. But I'm just not all that worked up about them. Yeah, um, I think that. I, but again, my point is that they, yeah, they no, will I, be. That video it. is going to be compelling. That. Now, it, it, you know, the uh, the seven years I spent in Afghanistan, uh, driving around in local clothes, local vehicle, and all whatnot, sounds awfully exciting. And I'd like to tell you I never got attacked because I'm a badass and had guns and they were afraid of me. But that's not true. I was protected by the Afghan people because I was doing something that was uh, necessary and I was very respectful of them and their customs. And those guys, on several occasions, went out of their way to alert me to uh, imminent danger. So I feel a very strong need, particularly for the guys that put their ass on the line to protect me when I was pushing my luck by traveling too much in Taliban contested areas. And 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 so I've got a very strong feeling for this. But I think that Will is ultimately right. That's just a few of us who feel this moral indignation. Yeah, and I and I, I absolutely don't discount that. And if I, you know, have one thing put on my gravestone eventually I would like to think that 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 would be that I was loyal to people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, yeah. And it's just, no. again, I have no emotional attachment to this. Uh, I just, you know, I know people who were there. I was never involved in it myself. Yeah. And just trying to, when I think through it uh, in that way, I don't know if I'm average in the American public or not. I don't know where I fit in the bell curve in regards to the SIV applicants. No idea. So, I, I, w- I would submit that if my experience was your experience, Will, I'd feel the same way. I absolutely understand your position, but Raybo and I started doing this damn uh, reconstruction work and we turned into half hippies. Raybo went full hippie, so that could well, explain I hate my, to. Uh, I hate to rain on your your guys' parade, but it's it's ultimately I, what's interesting about the issue that it doesn't matter how either one of you feels personally. The way this will play out in the nation will be those mothers, those fathers, the wailing, the dead bodies with multiple gunshot wounds to them. Right? That's how that will be played. That's how that will be played out, and then it becomes a political event. Right? And because that's the nature of things in in our country. And so to me, the only significance of the SIVs is there is is the other side's ability to weaponize that in the next election. He left them. These are the images. This is what these women said. This is what these families said. And that's on Joe Biden. This blood is on Joe Biden's hand. So to me, that's the way that becomes compelling. Not to yeah, minimize your own personal, yeah. your own personal. No, no, no doubt. There hadn't been a lot, but I would say if you looked at the politicos up there, that your conservative Republicans are saying, "Get the Americans first. Right, no doubt. And so yeah. their ability to weaponize it a year from now, saying he didn't get all the SIVs is a little different. I, yeah, it's it's we're in a very. Uh, uh, you know, it's fraught on all sides. No one knows how it's really going to play out. Uh, and I, st- I still think the last thing that the administration wants is to have the last dead serviceman in Afghanistan come in the next week. All right. So. All right. I, I, Tony Blair um, got off on the United States yesterday because he, he said, look, um, it's not like our presence 
in Afghanistan, you know, blame, essentially blame, blaming Biden and, and President Trump for the negotiations that led to this and then ultimately the way we exited and said, you know, we, ha- we haven't had a NATO service member killed, you know, there in 18 months. Our, our, our presence was very small. Our presence, though, did guarantee an ongoing government. So and Bagram, yeah. But, but again, my only point about that is this is data point about eighteen months. Is that the last time we had a, a NATO service member killed? Wow, wow. And who was he fighting? That was uh, that was the guys in uh, in uh, the ISIS. No, I don't know. That was a blue on green. I'm sorry, to, that was a blue on green in, uh, in 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 Nangar province. I have to let me put in a little plug for yesterday's show. Um, you know, I threw up a map of. Uh, of uh, I, I I took a screenshot of a Twitter uh, of a tweet and uh, that Timmy was talking about and uh, and it, it it will show you where Baglan Province is um, and uh, also where the the districts of Banu Poli Hassar and uh, there's another one called Desala all of them very close to Kabul uh, all of them just essentially due north of Kabul. So it'll be interesting to see the Taliban response to that. But they essentially said they killed, you know, over 100 Taliban fighters and took a bunch captive. And so um, that that map is there uh, on, uh, I took a little screenshot from Google Earth and put some pins in it and identified everything if you want to kind of get a, um, get a, a better understanding geographically of where that stuff occurred. And I have to tell you this, while I was doing that, I have an irrational love of maps, right? I don't know why, but I do. When I work on a map, a piece comes over me that I rarely know as a human being. Now, I don't know why maps and I are such a are such a a a wonderful um, couple, but we are. So I'm making this map yesterday, and I'm I'm overcome by happiness, and I thought, you know. Maybe I should be a cartographer, and I could work on maps all day, because that's what cartographers do. If you don't believe me, you could look it up. So, on that note, boys, thank you very much. Uh, have a great day. And if you're ever, you know, if you're looking for a little bit of good therapy, bust out a map. It might help. Well, thanks, Mac. I appreciate that, and thanks for having us on again, brother. You, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> We're doomed. See, yeah. On a final closing comment, we're doomed. Well, let me tell you, how do you know we're doomed? When we're making, when the only, when the long pole intent is, you know, the president's approval rating, and we're going to tweak this so that he can have the approval rating that he that he wants, literally, on the heels of that, we're doomed. All right? At some point, the right thing should be done, because it's the right thing, and we're the United States. So, anyway. On that note, have a great day, boys. See you, Mac. That'll do it here on a, uh, I think today's Tuesday. On Tuesday, uh, thanks for listening. I wouldn't recommend watching the press briefings, but if if you're not doing anything else, they're interesting, uh, interesting listening. Uh, the messaging that comes out. 
And so, but let me tell you, listening to the PAOs do their thing and essentially say nothing is, uh, I hate it. So anyway, on that note, I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, please don't be afraid to send them in. Uh, We're happy to entertain them. And uh, so have a great Tuesday. We'll be back here tomorrow. uh, Kick around these current events. Knowing that uh, in the next 24 hours, it's going to be some probably huge news coming out of the G7. right? And uh, at that point, I guess we'll maybe understand or not the reason why the head of the CIA went to Kabul as opposed to the Secretary of State. So on that note, I am Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio, kind of doing our ops intel thing. Have a great day. I am out.